guys. It's 6.30, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you back from your, your groups. Hopefully you had some good discussion there. ton of content this week, huh? Lots of good stuff there in uh, uh, Genesis 12 through 16. I, I was actually thinking about it this week as I was trying to um, sort of zoom in and narrow down on, on what to talk about during this time. I was contemplating just sort of, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do this, but, but just looking at this chapter and its influence on the rest of Scripture. Because if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, there are so many places that deal with things that happen in these, in these few chapters. So uh, you, are, you are dealing with some of the most important uh, moments in our, in our faith tradition, in our, in our, um, in our belief system, um, that have a lot of implications um, in the New Testament, a lot of things that, that undergird and sort of represent and symbolize what is fully fulfilled in Christ. So we'll get into that a little bit today, but um, I hope you're enjoying seeing some of that. The study's doing a good job of of pulling some of that out, um, but, uh, but we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come, so, so keep, uh, keep digging deep. It, it has a lot of uh, foundation building for um, the rest of our spiritual lives as we study the Bible. Um, well, what I want to do to sort of start off is, um, a- as always, go through a quick theme overview. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but this is one of the things we love to do in here is just sort of uh, make sure we're tracking with the biggest themes that uh, Bible commentators have identified are, are playing out in each book of the Bible um, because it's one of the ways to really grasp what the book is about. Um, what was Moses trying to drive home in the hearts of his hearers? Um, if you can track with, with him, uh, you're going to pull more things out that, that are meaningful in your own life. So uh, the four themes, does anybody remember what they are? Blessing. Blessing. Yeah, that's the first one. Oh, I threw them all up at once. Right. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was cute to go up one by one. But yes, there, there you go. Blessing, uh, that goes along with its sister theme, cursing. You got sin and judgment, grace, and then covenant, God being a promise, keeping God. Did you guys see uh, these through, through the chapter? Let's start with the first one, blessing. Anybody see anything there? Yeah. Yeah. What did you see? Huge moment happened right at the start of our, of our uh, chapter 12. Uh, in fact, this is probably the biggest embodiment of this theme in the entire book of Genesis. So hopefully you saw it, but right there at the beginning of chapter 12, God blesses this guy Abraham, um, or Abram as he's called at the beginning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him Abraham throughout. That's going to be his name beginning next week. Um, that's what we know him by now. But, but yeah, God, God chooses this one guy from this one nation. There's nothing particularly special about him. In fact, we're told in the book of uh, Joshua that the Abraham's family, they were, they were not worshipers of God. They were, they were worshipers of, of false gods, of, of foreign gods. Um, and uh, so there's nothing like inherently righteous about Abraham himself. And yet God picks him out and decides to pour out blessing upon him. And he says, uh, in addition to that, he says, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you and your family and that's going to eventually spread forth into blessing for the entire earth, which is really profound, especially if you were with us in, uh, in the fall as we were studying the beginning part of Genesis. I mean, what have we watched spread throughout the earth? Has it been blessing and grace? No, it's been sin. Like mankind uh, keeps falling into rebellion and, and, and is spreading not the glory of God and the worship of God throughout the earth as they were intended to do. They're spreading sin and rebellion everywhere. And God responds to that the first time with judgment in the flood. Um, but then in the, in the second sort of creation that you get in, after the flood is as the second Adam, Noah, begins to go forth and his family splits up, God has taken a new path. And this is going to be the, you know, Genesis 12 really is regarded as, as sort of the beginning of what becomes the meta narrative of, 
of our entire scripture. It's, it's the people of Israel being formed, and then through the people of Israel, the grace of Christ coming forth and bursting forth to the Gentiles as well. It's, it is everything that, that we see play out through history um, being foretold and promised here as a covenant of blessing to Abraham. So uh, don't zoom past those verses. We'll get into that a little bit more in the teaching time in just a moment, but uh, I wanted to make sure you saw that. Uh, second one, sin. Anybody see some sin this week? Uh, yeah, Abraham, man. A lot, of, a lot of mistakes. I saw three big things. First, Abraham's deception, lying about Sarah being his sister, which uh, the, the study pointed out that's kind of a half lie. Uh, she is technically his half-sister. We're going to see that in chapter 20. Um, but he deceives Pharaoh and sort of makes her out to be his sister and not his wife, though she is absolutely his wife, and uh, sort of results in a big, complicated mess with uh, Pharaoh and, and uh, sort of this threat to the blessing of God that's been given in some ways. Um, nothing's really a threat to God's plans, but at, at, in some, on some level, um, here Abraham is supposed to be starting a family that's going to be this you know, uh, emblem of blessing to the entire earth, and um, here he is giving his wife to another man uh, in order to protect his own life. So a lot of, a lot of sin in that. We'll, we'll see that uh, as we go forward. It, it doesn't go away. He repeats that mistake next week. Um, the second, second time I saw sin was, uh, was with um, his, his second mistake with his second wife. Abraham and, and Hagar. Um, that's an interesting story. We'll dig into that in, in a few minutes. But um, I also saw this, and, and this is going to be something that develops more next week, but I want you to pick up on the thread here. Did anybody pick up on what's going on with Lot and sort of some sin things playing out? Um, so we're not told specifically about Lot having sin issues himself, and yet we are told very specifically about Sodom, that they were you know men of great wickedness. I think we're told 13 verse 12, uh, they were wicked, great sinners, against the Lord. So this city of sin is sort of existing as a pillar against God and against godliness. Um, you have God pouring out blessing on Abraham and, and, and uh, presumably that, you know, Abraham's teaching Lot, his nephew who's hanging out with him, all about this God that's speaking to him. And yet Lot just is drawn towards Sodom. He chooses to go dwell on that side of the land. Um, and at first we're just told he's like, you know, over towards Sodom, but then we're later told that he's in Sodom. He, he ends up building his tents in that city. So there's something going on there. He's flirting with sin. He's accommodating sin. He's drawn to it and sort of playing some sort of game that's going to end up becoming very problematic next week. If you're familiar with Genesis, you kind of know how that plays out, but, um, but we'll see it in, in full color. I just want you to, to, to see that thread, and we'll, again, talk about it more next week. Grace, um, lots of development here. God pouring out grace on Abraham. You know, he, he's, he's a sinner too. He, he's not a worshiper of God, and yet God is, uh, is pouring out grace to uh, pour out blessing on the earth. I also see grace in um, his intervention with Pharaoh. You saw that moment where uh, everything could be going wrong, and yet God throws plagues on, uh, on Pharaoh and intervenes in order to, uh, to, to keep his covenant together. Um, and then I also see grace in this, man, just chapter 16 and how God responds to this mess of a situation with Hagar and, and the child Ishmael who will be born. Uh, God just shows compassion, shows grace, shows his heart in that chapter um, in, I think, a really profound way uh, that we're meant to see. And then covenant, um, huge development there. Um, the promise of the covenant is given in, in chapter 12. Um, and then in chapter 15, did anybody get confused by this weird ceremony with the smoking pot and the, and the flaming torch in the middle of the night? What, these cut animals cut in half. That's, that's a covenant uh, ceremony. This is uh, how they sort of, they didn't sign contracts back then, but this, what we're told from commentators is that this was sort of the practice of 
making a promise in that day. So if you were making a promise to sell land or something like that, you would, you would split an animal in half and you and the person making the promise would walk between the two halves as, as sort of like a symbol and a sign saying, if we break our promise to each other, may what's happened to this animal happen to us. May we die. May we be split in half. You're sort of stepping between it and, and, and shaking hands sort of like a handshake today. Um, I agree it's weird. <laughs> it's not what we do to, to make covenants, but uh, maybe our habits would seem weird to them. So this was a cultural reality, and yet God uses it to make a covenant and sort of seal this promise he's made to Abraham in a really profound way. And notice, um, we're not going to get a chance to talk about this anymore, so I'm only going to say it here, but notice there's only one person who walks through the animals. Uh, God does not require Abraham to walk with him. Uh, the covenant is a unilateral covenant. It's just one party, and it's God. This, this uh, smoking pot, this flaming torch, the representatives of God himself. He's saying, this covenant that I'm making is all on me. It's a covenant of grace that I'm pouring out upon you. So um, we're going to see that develop more in the chapters ahead, but I wanted to make sure you didn't miss that here. Um, so with that, uh, let's dive into uh, a few things I'd love to talk about um, a lot of content covered through these, uh, these different chapters here. Um, a lot of uh, things playing out. I will say this. Um, the homework is so essential this time. Uh, you're going to be lost in, in discussion time and when it comes to teaching time if you're not keeping up with the, with the work. And I know it's a little bit heavier because we're reading more chapters. If you don't have time on your own through the week to like, get through all the questions and stuff like that, Please, at the very least, make sure you're doing the first day's work, which is to read the entire passage and to write down some summaries of the chapters. You having some acquaintance with the narrative and what's going on is going to be really essential for uh, the time that happens here on Wednesday mornings um, uh, because we just won't have time to cover each, each detail and, and get you fully caught up. But um, there is so much here in these five chapters that's worthy of our attention. But uh, I want to highlight three things that I think are the, the big showstoppers. Uh, if you've got your, your hand out there, there's some fill-in-the-blanks on the back as usual uh, that we'll cover. Um, two, two of them are about... Abraham, one of them is about God, um, but all of them, I think, have the best um, opportunity for application to our lives as followers of the Lord. So uh, three things to chat about. First, I want to look at um, Abraham, that he was a man of incredible faith. Um, he was a man of incredible faith. So uh, there is absolutely something that we are meant to admire and emulate in Abraham as we're seeing him unpacked in these first few chapters. So this is week one of what will be three weeks of looking at Abraham uh, as we move through this, the narrative of Genesis, the spotlight is going to focus in on Isaac and then eventually on Jacob and ultimately on Joseph. So we're going to follow the, the lineage of Abraham's family through those four major patriarchs. And yet here as we're meeting Abraham and getting to know him, the quality that we're meant to like be most impressed by and, and I think that God's like stir, uh, stirring up us to, to emulate in our own lives is his faith. He was a man who believed God who took God at his word, who acted in his life in accordance with what he heard from God. And it's showcased, I think, in two big places, uh, the first being these first three verses in Genesis chapter 12 that we started with, uh, where God gives this blessing. He promises that he's going to bless him and make him into a great nation. We already know from chapter 11, if you studied last fall, I mentioned it last week, but he and his wife are barren. They're not able to have children. His heir is this other guy from Damascus, we're told in chapter 15. But uh, he has no children, and yet God 
brings this promise, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you a great nation. So you're going to have kids. You're going to have lineage. You're going to have progeny. Um, and it's going to be so great that through you, all the nations will be blessed. Those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. It's this great, great promise. And Abraham, look what he does in verse 4. If you've got your Bible, look with me. The first three words, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Abraham obeys out of, out of his belief. I mean, this is just reflective of Abraham being a man of faith. He heard God's word, and he didn't excuse it. He didn't, you know, uh, you know excuse it away and ignore what happened. Um, he believed God and, and followed God and, and acted in accordance with the promise that had been given. Uh, God gave instructions, and Abraham did them. So I just want you to put yourself in, in his sandals for a moment and think about what would you have done? Like if you had heard, we're not told how this happened. Was it in a dream? Was it, you know, audible? Did he speak to Abraham one day? Um, we're not told explicitly uh, how he said these words to Abraham. And yet uh, it was probably some supernatural way, an audible voice or a dream. Would you have excused it away? Would you have said, man, I must have eaten something weird? You know, I'm, I'm hearing voices in my head. Uh, uh, I just saw a vision of something. That was weird. I, I, I I've never worshipped this God before. This isn't the God of my family, the God that I grew up worshipping. Why should I follow, listen to what he says, and then move my whole family to a different part of the earth, pack everything up that I, that I have? Why would I do this? I mean, there's so many reasons that Abraham could have written off what he heard, excused it away, uh, delayed obedience, not followed through with what was being said here. But Abraham did none of this. He actually followed through with, with this mysterious promise from this mysterious God. Um, he believed God. Um, he was a man of incredible faith. One commentator I read called this moment, this act of faith to go and move your family all these miles, uh, head into the unknown like this, face all these potential risks. Uh, he called it that it's the faith of conversion. It's similar to when we put faith in Jesus, we step out of one life into a new life. Uh, we make God our Lord. We, we, we choose to not order our life by our own designs and our own uh, plans. We, we submit ourselves to the Lord. This is what he's doing here. It's not a small moment. It's a really big moment. And I think it's easy to excuse it away as something that, oh yeah, we would all do that. But I, but I really do believe this is, uh, this is something that, that very few of us probably would do and uh, something that we need to sort of inspect our hearts and and, uh, and try to emulate in him because it's a beautiful thing. Um, the book of Hebrews uh, in the New Testament commends this faith. This is how it describes it. I think I have this for the screens. Um, by, faith, excuse me, by faith, Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place uh, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I love how that's phrased, looking forward to a city with true foundations. Um, that's what faith looks like, man. You know, it's, it's, it's looking, not living for this world, not living for our careers and for, you know, building great wealth and a great family and, and a great life here. It's looking uh, with, with clear eyes of what the Bible says and, and believing that this world is passing away. There's no found, ultimate strong foundation here. Uh, looking to God, looking to his eternal city and living for his kingdom. That's what faith looks like for us, just like it did for him. Um, he's a man of, of incredible faith. Um, second place I see it, just real quickly, I want to show you this, is verse uh, chapter 15. Flip there, if you will. Um, this is when he and God have a conversation. It's been uh, some number of years. He's between, he was 75 when he first gets the promise. He's 85 in chapter 16 when 
he and Hagar decide to have a kid. Um, so somewhere between zero and ten years from the first promise, he and God have a conversation. And God knows that he's afraid. He's, he knows that Abraham's worried about how is this going to be fulfilled. This is when he says, I'm your shield. I'm your very uh, great re- reward. Um, and Abraham says, uh, oh, Lord, what will you give me? I continue childness. The heir of my, my house is Eliezer of, of Damascus. Um, and God reaffirms his promise. You, he's not your heir. Your very own son from your own body will be your heir. Um, and then he look, takes him outside, shows him the stars, and says, if you can number these, that's how many kids you're going to have. Um, which is just an incredible promise. Um, but verse 6 is what I, what I want to highlight for you. Uh, it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord, God, counted it to Abraham as righteousness. This is so significant. In fact, I want to challenge you guys. I almost spent the whole time here. I want to challenge you this week. Go read Romans chapter 4, where Paul unpacks what's playing out here. But this moment, guys, is the, the uh, foundation for what we believe is as the doctrine of uh, imputed righteousness, of justification by faith, that God takes our faith, and though we have sin that deserves judgment, he credits our faith as righteousness. He credits righteousness to us that's undeserved. He imputes it to us because of faith. And, and therefore, we are justified before God and able to stand before him by faith. Sometimes people get confused about how people were saved in the Old Testament. Maybe you even thought about that. Jesus wasn't there yet. He hadn't died on the cross yet. How did Abraham end up in heaven? We, we see at the Mount of Transfiguration that, that uh, Elijah and Moses are standing there with Jesus. So clearly, they made it to, to heaven even before Jesus had died. So how, do, how does that stuff play out? Well, family, you know, uh, Paul explains this completely in, in Romans chapter 4. But salvation has always been by faith. It's always been by believing in God and, and God imputing righteousness to us in exchange for that, uh, that faith. Um, the, the object of the faith has changed from the Old Covenant into the New. We now have Christ as the, as the centerpiece of our faith. But in the Old uh, Covenant, it was believing in God and His promises, His promises of a coming Messiah, um, all, all the promises that He gave. But that, that essence of faith has always been what has, has saved from beginning to end. So I just want you to see it, hold fast to it. Um, this is who Abraham was, a man of great faith, and we're meant to emulate this in our lives as well. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe the biggest place of application for us would be when it comes to God's word, when it comes to sermons, when it comes to our own quiet times, and God speaks to us, and we know he's speaking. How do you respond to it? Do you wiggle out of it? Do you ignore it? Do you excuse it away? Do you not uh, take the, the time to actually go and apply it to your life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, after you've heard something on Sunday? Um, you know, even, even the last two weeks, there's been this thread playing out in Luke that Anson has brought to the surface about uh, giving and this interesting way where Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't. It's impossible. It, there, there's a heart issue when it comes to uh, money and finances in our life that is a profound uh, has profound effects and implications on our spiritual life. Where your where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The Bible says so. Anson's brought that up to the surface. Well, money's a real issue for for a lot of us, and maybe some of you have have surrendered in that area and you've you've committed yourselves to to generosity and committed yourselves to. Um, to financial faithfulness there in the way that God designs, but some of you haven't, and like you, have you yet? You know, two ser- sermons in a row where this thread is brought to the surface, and it's not because Emmaus is broke and Anson's trying to press something on you. There's no ulterior motive here. Our desire as your pastors is to bring forth the Word of God and let God speak to you. And guess what? He's bringing up now. He's bringing up money. So you know, I just wanna I wanna help you 
feel what Abraham did. He heard God, and then he obeyed God. That's what faith looks like. You know, James chapter 2 talks about, can faith that has no works even save you? Living faith is the kind of faith that believes God, but then follows him, follows it with, with action, follows it with works. Doesn't just say that chair can hold me, but sits down in the chair and enjoys being held by the chair. You know, this, this, is the, this is the thing that I think we need to apply, man. Abraham was a man of faith, and, and we should be as well. So um, i got to move on. Uh, a few more things I want to cover. Second thing we can learn from Abraham, uh, not just his good parts, but his bad parts. Abraham was a man of incredible impatience. Um, he was a man of great faith, to be sure, but he also had major sin in his life. And I think the best way to verbalize what it was is that word impatience. Um, he believed God, but he gets antsy. He gets impatient with trying to figure out how are you going to bring this all together, Lord? How are you going to make this happen? And he sort of jumps into the unknown with his power, with his strength to kind of bring it all together, trying to get God out of his his problems and, and uh, protect God's promises with his own strength. Um, he, he acts to try and fulfill uh, God's promises. And, and this shows up uh, really, really two times, really three times. Uh, first, with this moment in Egypt, when Abraham uh, goes to Egypt with Sarah in the midst of, of the, the famine, which is problematic on its, on its own. What did God promise in, in chapter 12, 1 through 3? That, that Abraham was going to have children, that he's going to make him a great nation, that he's going to be okay, he's going to be blessed. So when there's a famine, you know, Abraham was supposed to go to Canaan. That's the land where he was, he was meant to go. And he got there, but suddenly there's not enough food. You know, Abraham gets antsy. He knows the promise of God. God's going to take care of him. And yet he decides, I need to take care of myself. God's protection and provision for me isn't going to be enough. So he runs down to the fertile land out of, you know, around the Nile River there in Egypt to get food. I promise you he would have had food. He didn't have to even be in this mess of a situation in Egypt. That in its own is impatience and, and uh, not trusting fully in the promises of God. He had faith, but he, it fractured at moments, to be sure. But then as he gets down there, what does he do? He lies about, about his, uh, his wife being his sister, which totally, and in the same way, uh, goes against the promise of God. God promised, I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who, who curse you. I will protect you, Abraham. You don't have to worry about threats from other people. Here, Abraham is so concerned because his wife is gorgeous that, that he's going to be killed and this promise of God won't be fulfilled because somebody's going to want to steal his wife. But by acting in his own power, by trying to go before God and, and fulfill the promises of God in his own strength, what does he do? He actually creates the problem, gets his wife into Pharaoh's house, which is you know, a huge mess of a mess, um, abject failure as a husband, as a leader of his household. It's problematic on so many level, levels, lots to learn about what not to do. But I just want to emphasize it's the same issue as we mentioned before. It's this impatience, this this sitting in the uncertainty of the moment and, and acting to, to work it out in your own strength rather than resting in God and letting God's plan develop. Same exact problem shows up in chapter 16 uh, with Hagar, uh, this, this servant of, of Sarah. Um, the promise of having a child is still unfulfilled. It's been 10 years. God's given the promise. Where are you, Lord? Are you going to bring the child or not? And Sarah comes up with the plan, it says, um, which, you know, is easy to throw all the blame on her, just like a lot of people like to throw all the blame on Eve in Genesis chapter 3. But the Bible, I mean this, hear this, guys. This is an important lesson for us as men. The Bible holds Adam fully responsible for the problems in Genesis chapter 3, and I believe very, we know that from, from the book of Romans chapter 5. 
But I believe very firmly Abraham is fully responsible here as well. He didn't have to go along with Sarah's plan. He could have led his wife, honey, this is not how we're going to follow God. God's made a promise to us that we're going to have a child. And I don't have to break God's design for marriage and sin against God's very holiness that he's created in this, in this covenant of union called marriage that we have in order to fulfill God's promises. God's promises never require sin, y'all. You don't ever have to like break God's ways and break God's rules in order to, to make things work out for yourself. And we do this, and let's go to the financial issue again in our lives. This is one of the places where I think we get like Abraham. We get impatient. I don't know how the money's going to work out, Lord. Maybe, maybe your plan for this season is that I stop giving in order to care for my family. You command me to make sure my family can eat. Um, so maybe, maybe that's more important than being generous. I'll break your, your design. I'll break your rules in order to fulfill your rules. That's never how it works. Satan will always tempt you to think that, that de, uh, departing from God's plan is the way to get into God's will. I, I can't tell you how many couples who have having marriage problems will sit before me and say, I think divorce is the better option. I think God would rather have us stop fighting and stop being so miserable than to stay together in this, in this terrible spot. And I'm like, no, God's plan never includes sin. It ne- your circumstances don't ever, like, God never... You know, he, he thought of everything. And when he laid down his, his law and his lines for us, he laid them down in good, pleasant places. So, so just don't get like Abraham and get antsy when you're confused about your circumstances and, and start uh, departing from God's plan. Don't have impatience. Trust the Lord. Uh, walk in faithfulness even in these moments. i got some more examples there, but um, for the sake of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward to our last little point here. Um, if there's any questions on, on what we were talking about there, feel free to follow up with me later. But third, third thing I want to emphasize here, which is so good after seeing Abraham's failures, our failures are never an obstacle to God's faithfulness. Um, I love this. The theme of grace is great in the book of Genesis and throughout the entire Bible, but um, it's emphasized here when Abraham is making these huge mistakes. God interrupts and interjects himself into the midst of Abraham's failures to get him back on the right track. God remains faithful as Abraham, even at moments, is faithless. Um, in Egypt, his lack of patience, you know, getting his wife in Pharaoh's household, the, the covenant of God, not sure how it's even going to work out when now your wife is Pharaoh's wife. Um, what does God do? He steps in and he throws plagues on Pharaoh, <laughs> which is really interesting. Remember who this is written to, the Israelites, as they've just departed Egypt after the second set of plagues thrown on Pharaoh. I mean, everything that happens in the Exodus is really just a, a repeating of what happened here in Genesis. But God intervened to protect Sarah, to bring him and her and Abraham back together and to keep his covenant, um, keep, keep his covenant strong and able to be fulfilled. God interrupts Abraham's sin and, and provides grace. Now, are there consequences? Do you think it was all fine between Sarah and Abraham when they're finally back on the road together, back to Canaan? <laughs> no, I bet she had some conversations with him. I bet there was some relational friction that endured in their marriage for years because of his poor leadership. I bet there were consequences that felt hard because Abraham was a bonehead here in, in that moment. But, but God gives grace, keeps it together. He, he moves things along. Same thing happens with Hagar as well. You know, again, Abraham is dumb. He's boneheaded. He takes matters into his own hand. He, he threatens the promise of God. Um, uh, he, he brings this great complication to his family tree. He brings this great complication to his relationship with his wife. His, this great pain you know, comes, 
comes into this relationship between Sarah and Hagar. They were friends. She was her servant. I'm sure there was a rich, you know, relationship of friendship that existed there. And it's all, all messed up, which just as an aside, that's what sin always does. Looks appealing, sounds like a smart idea. It just like wreaks havoc. It's a, it's a grenade that explodes and causes pain all over the place. Of course, there's going to be complications when you decide to sleep with your wife's best friend servant. That's going to create problems. Um, why sin feels attractive to me, I, I, uh, sometimes I don't understand Um, And I think that can be true for all of us. But what we see as the consequences unfold is God entering in with grace. He meets, as as it gets complicated, as Hagar is sent away from Sarah because of all this relational friction. um, She won't survive. A single woman, a pregnant single woman wandering through the desert, she's going to die. And God loves Abraham. And he's promised to bless and to care for Abraham's children. And so he goes to Hagar and meets her on the road and says, hey, go back home. I know it's complicated. I know there's still going to be complications, but I'm going to give grace here. And is this child going to be the child of promise? No. Is this child the one that God intended to bless the nations through? No. It's coming through Isaac. There's a different child coming. But it, is God still going to be gracious to this child? Yeah. He's going to protect this life. Is he, going to, is he going to intervene into Abraham's sin and allow life to continue? Yeah, he is. This is who he is. He's a faithful God who steps into our failures with grace. Um, this is who he always is. God's way never includes sin. You know, us hiding and covering things up never works. Um, but when we confess, when we repent, God is able to uh, uh, meet us in our failures with all of his faithfulness. So I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what failures are playing out right now. I don't know um, what mistakes you have made or are making or contemplating making right now. But I just want to encourage you, men, God's grace is bigger than all that. If you're contemplating a failure, let's, let's turn before that happens. But if you're in the midst of it, if you've screwed everything up, confess, repent, hide yourself in God's grace once again, and watch him rewrite the story. There's always a second chapter with the Lord. His grace is bigger and greater than all of our sin. Uh, he knows how to, how to fix the story and write a story of redemption. By his grace, um, his mercy will always overcome. It will always win. So let's rest in that and take refuge in that. Uh, as we seek to, to follow him faithfully. Uh, with that, let me, let me pray for us. We'll be all done. God, we thank you that your grace is bigger than our failures because our failures can be big sometimes. Um, we can be like Abraham, taking life by the, by the horns and, and just jumping in and making plans for ourselves and not waiting patiently for you to order our steps and you to bring things together. Lord, I pray that you would let these lessons from Abraham's mistakes drive home in our hearts, that we would emulate his good moments and be men of faith rather than uh, men of of failure, men of impatience, men of sin. Um, Lord, would we lead our families well? When our our wives or our daughters or our sons have, have ideas of things that are wrong, would we, as you give us discernment, as you lead us with your spirit, would we have the courage to say, no, we're not going to do that. Lord, help us to speak up in those moments, have the courage to, to speak up and lead well and, and prevent our family from moments of great heartache and, and, uh, and struggle because we are willing to be faithful um, e- even when it's hard. So guide us, lead us. And, and for any of us who are in the midst of failure, Lord, would you turn it around? Would you meet us, interrupt our failure? Would you do what you did in Egypt and just um, mess up our failure? Throw, throw some plagues, throw some... some uh, some, some mercy in the midst of our sin and, and turn things around for us, Lord. I pray that every man in this room would, would uh, in places where they're sinning and walking in, in failure, would they turn back to grace? Would they turn back to you? And would you uh, have redemption for them as they do? 
Um, we need you, Lord. We need your grace in our life. So, so provide that for us as the covering and as the worker of all good. Uh, we love you. Lead us out. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Uh, another big week. Lots of things ahead for us. So good luck studying, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday.